Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. Well, you know, coming into this being my first sermon and all, right? Man, it was it was definitely you know a lot of nerves, a lot of a lot of overthinking, right? But the first thing I did was the the first slide, the sweetest wine. I was looking at it and I was like, I don't know. It was without the cross, and I was like, I don't know if this is a Napa Valley ad. I don't know if we're going for church on Sunday, right? So I had to put a cross on there to show, hey, we're in church. We're gonna have a great time, and we're ready to get some word of God. Okay. So my first question is for all of you here. Is who here has sweet tooth? Who here has sweet tooth? Turn to the person left of you and say, Do you have sweet tooth? Sweet tooth. Right? Turn to the person to the right of you and say, Turn the person to the right of you and say, Jesus is sweeter. Jesus is sweeter. Jesus is sweeter. But I mean, I have a sweet tooth like no other. I mean, my family, we have a big ice cream freezer in our garage, and I mean, you get any type of ice cream. I think we can probably run our own ice cream truck at this point. I mean, we have Diana Banana, Klondike Bar, you know, I might as well everyone come after church to come with us to get some ice cream, but this is just something I'd really take joy in every night after a long day, right? I say long day, but reality is it's probably a normal day, right? It's probably a normal day that I go and get my ice cream after dinner, and, uh, you know, I have my Diana Banana, and, you know, after I look myself in the mirror, wipe some fudge off my face, and I'm like, man, I could probably have five more of these things, right? I could probably have five more of these things. And so when it comes to sweet tooth, as we all know, it just begs the question, right? Whether it be dessert, whether it be anything in life, didn't it just have you longing for more? Didn't it just have you longing for more? Today we're going to open up an amazing passage, uh, Jesus' first miracle. Spoiler alert, he turns water into wine. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but we're going to dive into it, and I'm going to have you turn to John 2, verse 1. We're going to read it out together. So, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, this is interesting, right? We see here that not only the third day, but Jesus was invited to the wedding, and you have to beg the question, why? Right? And, and, and what we see here is that Nazareth, where Jesus grew up, was actually directly located next to Cana, and so we see that it made sense why Jesus' mother and Jesus was invited to this wedding. But Jesus was also invited, right? This means that, you know, he didn't just come in there barging, no, he was invited as a friend, as he is to us. And so we see that in the next verse... Uh, we see in verse 3 and 4 that this is also very important, right? When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said, we ha- they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what is that to do with me? My time has not yet come. My time has not yet come. And so historically, this wedding is a big deal. This wedding is a big deal. Uh, we see in Judges 14.10 that Samson, uh, in the Old Testament, 
prepared the way for his bride, and it was a huge feast, and this feast usually lasted around seven days, seven days. So we see that it wasn't just one day. I got my wedding next month with my wonderful fiance. We have it for one day, one day. And we got some family here today. Everyone say hello, family, family. And so I'd probably have to call on my family and say, hey, we might need a great uncle, maybe some other uncles to provide for a week-long wedding, and maybe bring in some money, too, because then we need to feed the whole family. And so we see here that if this bride actually, or bridegroom, or I think, yeah, bridegroom, runs out of wine, this is a big deal. Okay, it even shows in Jewish tradition that the the husband had to prepare the way for his wife, and it would take near a year to prepare a house to get things ready in order. So the wine ran out. We don't know which day it is in the in the verse, but it could be the third day, it could be the first day. Okay, so this is a really really big deal that the wine runs out. We see the next one in verse four that Jesus and his mother have a, a conversation that goes something around the lines of woman what does this have to do with me my hour is not yet come okay we see also here that he refers to his mother as woman and most modern day we say well maybe that's a derogatory term you know maybe that's not so nice but it's meant more in an endearing way to his mother saying dear woman right my hour has not yet come this is a separation here. This is a separation that Jesus shows to the church and to also his disciples that, hey, I belong to the Father. Okay? I take orders from him. Okay? I am working together with the Father. I'm no longer, I'm always with your son, but right now we're seeing a separation between, hey, I'm carrying out my mission right now. I'm the Son of Man. And so the next verse we see, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. And so often we think of this verse, we think that she was saying, you know what, fill up the wine regardless. No, she wasn't saying that at all. She was saying, do whatever he tells you. If Jesus said fill up the, the jars 60%, they would. If Jesus said, you know what, go to the, the master of the feast, go to him and say that we don't got any wine today. Sorry. We got any wine, we're all, we're all out. There's this submission and mercy that the mother has to Jesus, and so in that she says, Do whatever he tells you. Isn't that funny, church? That so often we often think about this and say, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live out however I want. But right here, we even have the mother of Jesus saying, Do whatever Jesus tells you. Because we have to trust, right? We have to trust that Jesus has the best plan in store for you in your life. That Jesus, whatever he tells you, it's going to be the best plan for you, that even that you could even fathom, better than everything that you can imagine. Okay? So we see here in verse 6 and 7, now there are six stone purification jars, each holding about 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Right, so these jars wasn't just no small jar. It wasn't no, you know, water gallon. It was a very, very big amount of set, right? Imagine this jar, maybe about two of these of the flower pot stacked on top of each other, and then I got maybe 20 to 30 gallons. Some scripture even shows it could be 20 to 50 gallons. So, you know, I'm an athletic guy, but I mean, 
This jar would probably take me, myself, Fabian, and maybe Gerardo if he's here, lifting this up, going down to the well. I don't got any Brita filter. I don't got a hose in the back. Right? This is going up to the well, picking up the water, putting it into the bucket, and then filling up these six apiece. Six apiece. We don't know how long this takes. We have no insight, but we imagine that this took a while. And Jesus says to the servants, fill the jars with water. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be asking myself, what the water? You know, what are we going to do? We're going to put some Lipton tea in there. We're going to mix it around, call it a wine fest, right? But I mean, there's this act of servitude. And so we see here as, as seven goes on, it says that they filled them to the brim. They filled them to the brim. How glorious is that? What discipleship? What act of servitude that they had? I have a cool story, some story that I told the church before, but I just love this story so much. Uh, it, it deals with the story of John Wazulinski. Raise your hand, John, really quick. So John and I were at Reverb uh, about a few months ago, and we were with the youth group at the time. And so when we were there... It was a third day. It was a long, you know, three days. It was full of prayer, worship, and it was amazing. Don't get me wrong. It was awesome. But we were tired. And on the third day, we walk into the church. We're about to do our last final uh, sermon, last final day. And we were there, and I see this girl walking up to the church, outside the church. And she's limping, you know, with her right knee. She's kind of limping. And I say, man, that'd be great. That'd be great to pray for this girl. Right. I don't know where she's going to be in the church, you know, about 300, 400 kids. So it's a good chance that she can be mixed up. And you know what? I'm going to say, let's pray for her if I get the chance. So long behold, Lord puts her right behind me. And afterwards, we ask her for some prayer. I'm going to pray over her knee. We figure out that she actually had an ACL tear uh, and she was recovering. And this recovery was not going well. It's not going well. So then John says, you know what, let's, let's pray. Let's pray for her. So we lay hands on her. And about two or three minutes later, we ask her, we say, hey, how's your knee? How's your knees feeling? Yeah, how's your knee feeling? And John says, you know, is it feeling better? Is it feeling worse? She's like, you know what, it's 60% healed, which is miraculous, right? 60% healed. She's like, it's feeling a lot better. I'm moving a lot better. And I'm like, great, awesome. Ready to go, guys? We're going to pack up. We're going to go in the car. We're going to head out on our own way. And John's like, no. No, we need to pray for more. We need to pray for more. And I was like, okay, yeah, more, more for sure. Let's go. Let's go pray for her more. And another two or three minutes go by. Another five minutes go by. And we keep praying. We keep praying. We put laying hands on her. And she wakes up, almost waking up, but she was really in shock. And she starts crying and says, you know what? My knee feels so much better. And she walked out of there fully healed. And I love that story. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. I love that story. And because I love that story, it's similar to this, is that John showed an act of childlike faith to not settle for 60%. He didn't settle for you know, 60% of water being full. No. John said, we're going to do this, we're going to keep going, and we're going to have an act of servitude towards the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Jesus healed. Because, you know, I don't know if you know this church, maybe you know this by now, for sure you probably do. But Jesus doesn't act on 60-70%. No. No. Jesus is a missing puzzle piece. Jesus is the one that fulfills. And the reason why we see that Jesus filled them up to the brim is because what? It's because nothing can be added on top. There wasn't no grapes that you can put in this thing. There wasn't no Lipton tea you can mix around. 
No, no. Nothing can be added on top of these water jars. It's completely filled to the brim. Jesus doesn't Jesus is the missing puzzle piece. Puzzle piece. There's nothing that can be added on top of Jesus' love for you, church. Jesus is the complete most picture that you can have in your life. And it's meant to be that way. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, maybe, you know, the, you know, the dessert sounds pretty good. I'm pretty sure I can be satisfied from all that. You know, it, it's funny because we see here on John 8 to 10, we're going to get into this. Let's read it out while we, while we, while we can. All right, so we see here an 8. And he said to them, now draw out some and take them to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, the master of the feast, as we go on, called the bridegroom, or the bridegroom, and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first, and people have drunk freely than the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. You have kept the good wine until now. Isn't that amazing? We see that Jesus didn't take the wide path. Even in his own life, his words to us tell us to take the narrow gate. He even took the narrow gate. He said, no, I'm going to serve the best wine last. I'm going to serve the best wine last. I am going to show you that no matter how the world does it, I'm going to take this opposite path. And I'm going to show you how good that I can be. And also, Jesus willed it, and it was done. We see, he gave it to the master of the feast. This master of the feast was someone who organized the wedding, made sure it's all good and goes right right for the bridegroom and the bride. And he gave him this wine that was immediately turned from water to wine. And it goes to show us that his divine power, his divine act, shows us that it was undeniable It was undeniable. Nothing can be added on top of this vase. Nothing could be removed. And it was immediately turned from water to wine. And that's how good Jesus is. Because, again, he saves the best wine for last. Church, I'm telling you, these satisfactions in our life, whether it be dessert, your dream job, your kids going off to college, whatever these great things are, and they are great things, No matter how good it is, eventually, without Jesus, it will leave you unsatisfied. It will leave you unsatisfied. Everything feels unsatisfied without Jesus. And so, I have an interesting story here. This is about my story to Spain. So when I actually, a couple weeks ago, I was in Spain, and during my time, we had... Uh, a great time. It was an awesome time. But around the third or fourth day, I was, I was kind of sulking about it. I was like, man, I wanted to go home, and you know, I was ready to, you know, see the church and be with everyone here. And I had all these, you know, almost negative thoughts in my head, right? Around, hey, I wanted to go home, right? I wanted to go home. And so, in my time there, as we see here on the next slide, there was. You know, me here at, you know, 16 years old. I'm just kidding. This is me when I was probably around six or seven years old. And, uh, I, I was talking to my fiance. It was around 9.30 on a Wednesday. Okay. 
So we're talking about, you know, just just life and how I had this desire, right, to, to, to go home. And we have this game here. This is a graduation game that we played about a year ago at her graduation. And essentially, it's a game that you can pick about yourself things that people have to guess. So you have to guess my shoe size, you have to guess my eye color, you have to guess my favorite dessert, ice cream, spoiler alert, uh, childhood toy, all those things. And so we played this game together, and of course she obviously knew me better than myself, because I didn't know at the time that I always had a dream to go to Spain. I always had a dream to go to Spain. It was a childhood dream of mine. And here I am, here I am, Wednesday night, about four days into the trip, and I'm thinking, I want to go home. And then it hit me, it hit me, that I always wanted to go to Spain since I was a kid. Church, how many times are we living the life that we prayed for, but we don't even realize it? Raise your hand. How many things in our life do we pray for, we don't even acknowledge God and say, Thank you. Thank you for giving me what I prayed for. And what's ironic about this church is we also connect the dots here in a second. That I was praying at home to go to Spain. And while I was in Spain, I was praying to go home. You see this never-ending cycle? <laughs> right? You see this never-ending cycle that we often in the world do. I'll give you another example. Once I get this promotion, I'll be happy. Does this sound familiar? All right. Once I get this love of my life, I'll be happy. Once I get this car, once I get this child, once I get this anything, you put in the blank. And it's a lie. We're deceiving ourselves of the true greatness that Jesus Christ has to offer. We're deceiving ourselves to think that this world can give us what Jesus can. And it's not. Jesus is the ultimate satisfaction. And so, when I was realizing this, I thought, man, I just want to, I felt this type of repentance. And I said, you know what, Lord, I just want you. I just want you. Whatever you give me, whether it be good or great, whatever, all I know is that I just want you. That rock that Karen was talking about. Just want your rock. I want your foundation. Okay, so again, we see in John six thirty five. Actually, later on to the passage. So, before this verse, ironically, people uh, the there was a group of men, and they were asking for bread. They were asking for more bread, and they weren't satisfied because Moses actually in the Old Testament gave manna bread to a lot of the people when they come by and that was a thing that he did and Jesus before this fed you know the five loaves we know that story and so they were following around Jesus and said Jesus you know I heard you know about these stories you know Moses gives us gives us bread and verse 34 I don't put it on here but they said to him sir give us this bread always right they were looking to satisfy their bellies they were looking to satisfy their Dessert, their sweet tooth, right? And Jesus hits them with this line. I love it so much. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. 
But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. I love that because it's such a similarity to how we often go throughout life. We think that, hey, you know what, Jesus, you've given me all this bread before. You've given me this house. You've given me this family. You've given me, you know, all these accolades. Just keep on doing that, please. You know, and, and Jesus makes a clear declaration here that true bread is from heaven. True bread is from heaven. And in order to obtain eternal life, Jesus already clarified, this does not mean good works. But this refers to the belief to the one sent by God. (laughs) He says, never go hungry. Never be thirsty. What does that remind you of? Always full to the brim. Satisfied. Satisfaction. Say it with me, church. Satisfied. Satisfied. All right, so how do we do this? And I'm not just going to preach up here and not give you application, but this is a next step similar to how Jesus was invited to the wedding, right? We also have to invite Jesus into our life. We have to invite a relationship with Jesus into your life. It can be today. It can be today. Okay? This is a similarity to the wedding because Jesus was invited. Again, Jesus could have barged in there. He could have said, I am the son of God, and you're going to give me a throne, a seat at the throne. No. Jesus was invited. Jesus is a gentleman. He only goes as far as you let him. You have to invite him into your life and say, Jesus, I want you. I want you. I need you right now. I need you right now. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are really struggling. And it's so hard. It's so hard. You hear a story from Karen earlier today. Imagine Karen was going through this without Jesus. It'd be very hard. It would be detrimental. And so we want to apply these things into our lives. But how do we do that? How do we do that? I'm going to give you an ABC, one, two, three, that's going to get you right and that can get you closer to God. The first thing we need to do, church, in order to accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So if you're sitting here today and saying, you know what? I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. I want to do it. You know, I hear these things and I want to do it. The first thing we need to do, it's a three-step process. It's very easy. But the first we need to do is admit to God. Admit to God that you are a sinner and repent and turn away from your sin. And you believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and accept God's gift of forgiveness from sin. And we need to also see, we need to commit and confess our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we accept, when we do all these things, we get the beautiful thing, a beautiful spirit called the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit we see in Galatians 22. You want to know what the fruit of the Spirit offers? Love. Joy. Peace. Forbearance. Kindness. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. Doesn't that sound amazing? And so often I need to pray for these things every day. Right? We need to pray for these things. For the ones that are believers. And say, Lord... Your Holy Spirit, please, God, give me the joy today. Give me the peace. Give me the kindness. Give me the goodness. Give me the gentleness. Give me the self-control today. 
And so it is with you that you have the decision in your life around what route you're going to take. So as we close out, I want to say the bottom line is this, right? The sweetest wine awaits your life. You just need to let him in. You just need to let him in. Jesus awaits you in your life. And you just need to let him in. 